because we live in a broken world. There's going to come times in our life that I refer to as times of crunch. Almost like there's a Damocles sword hanging over your head and you know it's going to fall. You just don't know exactly when. And I think Jesus knew that because he said in the last days, the perilous times would come upon us. And in Matthew chapter 24, he laid out a lot of things. He charted it out to us when he started and said there would be false Christs. There would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be nations against nations. There would be kingdoms against kingdoms. There would be famine. There would be pestilence. There would be earthquakes in different places. And then he said, that's just the beginning of the birth pains of sorrow. He also said there would be a time of persecution when we would be delivered up to evil authorities and people would be killed and those who followed him would be hated of all nations for his name's sake. And he said it would be a day of apostasy when many would depart from the faith and they would betray one another and it would be a time of false prophets who would deceive many and a time of false Christ. And he said because iniquity would abound, or wickedness would increase, that the love of many would grow cold. And in verse 13 of that 24th chapter, he said these words, But he that remains true and stands firm until the end will be saved. Now here's the question. How do you stand firm? How do you stay true? The answer comes in four words that Jesus used in his ministry several times during his life here on this earth. He said in no uncertain terms, you have to be of good cheer. Now, a few years ago, they coined that phrase of, don't worry, be happy. Well, happy has to do with happenstances, and that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for that joy that he puts within us. And he says, be of good cheer. And I'm convinced if he was here today, that's the message that he would preach to us. Be of good cheer. Every time that he used those words, there was a time of crunch. There was a problem. There was a dilemma. There was some kind of a difficult hardship that was taking place. And every time that he said those words, there was a miracle performed. I want you to get those two things. Right in the midst of the crunch, he would perform a miracle. And so he says, be of good cheer. We pick him up first in Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 2. And what had happened there is Christ had healed the Gadarean at the foot of the Golan Heights. He's just got into a boat and goes across to his own city of Capernaum. And when he gets there, he finds a group of men waiting for him, and they have a friend with them who is a paralytic lying on a cot. 
He perceives their faith when he sees them. And he looks at this young man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Be of good cheer. Now let me read to you out of that ninth chapter what happened because there were several people there who observed this and heard him say those words and they said, by what authority does he forgive sins? Isn't that blasphemy? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise and walk, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified that God had given such power or such authority to men. I'm persuaded that the greatest miracle that any of us can experience is a miracle of forgiveness. Miracle of forgiveness. This man was restricted to a life on a cot. His whole life was circumscribed around that bed. And it's interesting, and I think it is significant, that the Lord used those words and said to him, Be healed. Rather than saying, excuse me, rather than saying to him, Be healed, he said to him, Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Because I think he knew even back then there was such a thing as the psychosomatic diseases. That's a physical illness with a psychological cause. And when you begin to analyze it, the doctors tell us that 60% of our diseases are psychological or emotionally induced. And that means that what goes on inside of us has a great deal to do with how we react and feel on the outside of us. And when our lives get all tangled up and our lives get all tense, we get all tight inside and we don't know where we're going, we don't know what we're going to do, we don't know what's going on, then psychological symptoms begin and or physiological symptoms begin and we call it psychosomatic. That means body and soul. Psycho is body, somatic is soul, and the soul and the body are fighting against each other. Here was a man I'm sure was bitter. He was cynical. He was angry. All of his friends had everything they wanted. All of his friends were free to walk around. They were whole. They were well. He's spending his life on a cot. And Jesus says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Be of good cheer. And that's what he's saying to us today. Because some of our problems may be that we are fighting things because something inside of us is wrong. 
We really need that gift of forgiveness more than we're aware. And it doesn't matter how difficult or how tight or how tense or how tangled our lives may be. Forgiveness can come to us, and maybe that's the way that wholeness and health is going to come to us, is as we learn to be of good cheer and recognize that God is faithful, that God is faithful, that God is faithful. And he gave him this miracle of forgiveness. The second time that we see this is in Matthew chapter 14. And he says to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now you know what was going on there? You know what the crunch, particular crunch was at this particular time? He just fed the 5,000. He had said to his disciples to go across to Genezareth. He had dismissed the crowd, and he had gone away to pray. It's about eight miles from where he fed the 5,000 to, to, to uh, Genezareth, where he had sent him. And his disciples started out, and they get into a great big windstorm, sort of like we've had around here tonight, out on the Sea of Galilee, and it was very dangerous. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and they say it's a ghost, and they're afraid. And he says to them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Well, Peter wanted to test it. He said, if it's really you, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water. He gets his eyes on the wind, and he gets his eyes on the waves, and he, and he begins to sink, and he begins to drown, and he calls out, Lord, save me, and the Lord reaches out and takes him by the hand and puts him into the boat. And then he says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wanted to give to you a miracle of faithfulness. Miracle of forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer. Miracle of faithfulness, it is I, be not afraid. Because he promised to be with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, he's promised to be with us. And he is faithful. But we can identify with Peter, can't we? How many times have we stepped out of the boat? And then begin to look at the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we begin to fail and we begin to fall. Peter failed every single test. Have you ever thought about that? He failed every single test. He was coming up short. He flunked every test of faith that was thrown his way. When Jesus needed him the most, he denied him three times. When he walked on the water, he got his eyes on the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. Even after the resurrection, Peter said, I'm done with this ministry. I'm going to go back to my old lifestyle. I'm going to go back to my old job, and I'm going to be a fisher of men, and I'm not going to follow this guy anymore. I'm done with all of it. And even in John 21, when Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Peter still couldn't comprehend it until after the day of Pentecost. I learned something out of that. I learned that failure is not final. 
We all have failed at one point or the other. Failure is not final. I remember the story of a young officer, a lieutenant in the French and Indian War. He surrendered to the enemy and surrendered an entire troop to the enemy, and everybody thought it was a disgrace. Everybody thought he was a failure, but it wasn't final. Because that young man became the first president of the United States. His name was George Washington. And I wouldn't call him a failure. I read the story about a man who bankrupted his business and he ran for state legislature and he lost. He ran for the state electorate and he lost. He ran for uh, Congress and he lost. He ran for the Senate and he lost. He ran for vice president and he lost. But he ran for president in 1860 and he was elected. He won. His name was Abraham Lincoln, and I wouldn't call him a failure either. Did you know when Walt Disney applied for his first job at the Kansas City Star, that they told him he wasn't an artist, that he couldn't draw, and he needed to give up on his art? His first character was Oswald the Rabbit. Anybody in here remember Oswald the Rabbit? One or two, but Oswald the Rabbit was a failure. He didn't make it. But then came Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Bugs Bunny, Disney World, Disneyland, and I wouldn't call him a failure. Next time you look at Macy's Parade on Thanksgiving or Christmas, whenever you see it, remember twice Macy went out of business. Third time he went bankrupt. The fourth time he made it. So the next time you're watching that parade go by, say to yourself, there goes the parade of a failure. And the next time you get on an elevator and you see the name Otis, Otis was a failure. Or was he? He bankrupted three businesses as an automobile mechanic and then he invented the elevator. Next time you get on an elevator that has Otis on it to go to the 40th floor in a high-rise building, tell yourself, I'm riding on an elevator that was built by a failure. Failure is not final. Because when, just when you're getting ready to sink, and just when you're getting ready to fall, there's a voice that comes ringing through the ages and it cuts through the stuff of this world and it says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And that's a miracle of faithfulness. As he comes to you, he comes to me because he's always promised and he will always be faithful. There's a third miracle. It's found in John chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples these words, I've spoken unto you that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know what the crunch was there? He was getting ready to leave them. They were having problem getting their minds wrapped around that and organizing that in their thinking that Jesus was going to leave them. He said, the time is coming when you're going to be scattered and you'll see me no more. And he said, and you'll, you'll sorrow for me, but don't worry about me because I'm going to the Father. 
And they had a hard time processing that in their cognitive ability. But then the miracle came in chapter 17, and Jesus prayed his last prayer here on this earth before his crucifixion. And when you pray your last prayer, what do you pray about? If you knew that you had one prayer left, what would you pray about? One thing I can tell you is you would pray about the things that you think are most important. I would pray for my family. I would pray for my wife. I would pray for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I would pray about those things that were really important to me, and I think I'd probably say a little prayer for myself. I knew it was going to be my last one because I want to make sure everything's okay that way when I know it's going to be my last prayer. Jesus didn't pray for the world. He said so in that 17th chapter. I pray not for the world. And I pray not that you would take them out of the world. There was a prayer that he prayed that showed what was the most important thing that he could think of at that time. He said, Father, make them in me as I am in you, that we all may be one. That we all may be one. That was the miracle, that in you and in me, There could be the spirit of the living God. And so he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You may have tribulations, but I have overcome the world. And he brought to us that miracle of forcefulness that I'll go with you whatever the future may hold because I'm breathing on you the power of the Holy Spirit and there's not enough demons and there's not enough devils in hell to deter you from what I've called you to do for I am the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. And he says to us, go out and live it out Maybe it's not going to always work the way we want it to. Maybe it's not always going to happen. What would happen if you told God where you were right now? What would happen if you really told God and were really honest with him about where you are right now? What the crunch is in your life and what the problem is in your life? What would happen then if you took that miracle of forgiveness and that miracle of faithfulness and that miracle of forcefulness and you put it into work, put it to work in your life? What would happen if you could take that the exhortation that he gave, be of good cheer, and put it to work in your life and applied it to your life? You know what I have to do every once in a while? Because... I get to looking at the winds. I get to looking at the waves, just like you do. I begin to see things that bring discouragement, and I begin to feel like I'm sinking, and I begin to feel like the load is too heavy to bear. And when that happens, all I have to do is get out the 11th chapter of Hebrews and begin to read. And when you start out reading that 11th chapter of Hebrews, he starts out with faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. By faith, he said, the elders received a good report. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
By faith, Enoch was translated and did not see death. By faith, Noah built an ark and saved his household. If you don't have the victory by then, you get down to verse 6, and he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. By faith, Moses refused the treasures of Egypt and chose to suffer the afflictions with the children of God. By faith, he crossed the Red Sea. By faith, he entered into the promised land. And all of these died in the faith, not receiving the promise, but seeing it afar. And they believed in it, and they trusted in it, and they confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers in this land. And if that's not enough, then you get down to verse 32. We don't know who wrote it. We think Paul did. But whoever wrote that, when he got to verse 32, he was really rolling. For he says, what more can I say? Time will not allow me to talk. Sounds like a preacher, doesn't it? I don't have enough time to tell you, but I'm going to. Here it goes. And he starts out, Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. I don't have enough time to tell you about it, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. By faith they subdued kingdoms. By faith they wrought righteousness. By faith they obtained promises. By faith they stopped the mouths of lions. By faith they turned to flight the alien armies. By faith they quenched the violence of fire. And if you don't have the victory by then, you're hopeless. Give up. Because that's the point. That's the miracle. By faith. By faith. By faith, by faith, miracle of forgiveness, miracle of faithfulness, miracle of forcefulness, by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I love that's the line that was in that little chorus that I sang, that little song I sang. When I sing by faith and not by sight, now he hears my song. He's never failed to be my audience of one. That's the message I have for you tonight. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. That ought to make you shout. That ought to make you rejoice. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Miracle of faithfulness. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. It's me. It is I. You're not afraid, he says. And that miracle of force for us. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's sing Carolyn's song to close. I brought this with me because I thought Carolyn might ask me to sing it. <clears throat> 